So often we talk about the cross in Christian circles. Uh, Our focus is on the love of God, right? The love of God for us. And this is gloriously true. I don't want to take anything away from that. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? But this is not the only dimension of the cross. And in fact, the text we're going to be in this morning is concerned with another dimension of the cross. There's more to be understood about Christ's work here if we're to truly appreciate the beauty, the magnitude of it all. So let's grow together in our love for Jesus by appreciating another aspect of his work on the cross. So turn with me in your Bibles now. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. I'll read through the 26. Uh, if you need to use a Bible, you can use one of our pew Bibles. You'll find today's text on page 1118. And once you're there, I invite you to stand with me out of reverence for God's word as I read aloud, follow along with me. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, send your Holy Spirit in these moments now to open our eyes to behold the beauty of Christ in his work on the cross. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So in this brief paragraph, you'll notice Paul uses the word righteousness four times. He, he uses the verb justify another two times and the adjective just another one time. These, these words all share uh, a meaning. They, they have the same root word in the Greek. For example, to justify someone is to declare them to be righteous. And righteousness is a big word that essentially means to be in the right, to be declared to be in a position of of being without fault. And so when you think of the word righteousness, I tell my kids, think of the word rightness. So here's three things about the righteousness of God and its relationship to the cross that I want to show you tonight. So we're going to look briefly at, firstly, the availability of, of God's righteousness, secondly, the source of God's righteousness, and then thirdly, the demonstration of God's righteousness. So, jumping right in here, look with me at verses 22 and 23, and notice that the righteousness of God is for all who believe. 
And this contrasts with with another all here found in verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The all in verse 22 will mean nothing to you if you don't first feel the weight of the all in verse 23. And this is what Paul has already spent the first chapters of Romans trying to impress upon us. The fact that all, everyone, without exception, has sinned. This is one of the most difficult things to convince people of in today's world. Everywhere you look, in books and movies, on TV and in the classroom, young people are being taught that they can define their own morality and that they can have their own truth. And if there's truly a grievous sin in our world today, it's, it's this, not accepting and celebrating someone else's truth or someone else's morality, even if it's detached from reality. Even the word sin is trivialized. It's made light of. It's not a word that's taken seriously. We live in a, in a world that believes all people are basically good. I mean, just try reading Paul's words uh, earlier in this chapter, verses 10 through 18. Try reading these words uh, to people today and see how long it takes for you to get canceled. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands God. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. People don't want to hear this. They want to believe that they're basically good. This makes it so hard to get someone to understand how ugly and heinous sin really is and to understand how God is actually just to condemn us. If people don't get this, then the gospel will be meaningless to them. Even if people do wrong, they don't see that God has anything to do with it. In 2 Samuel, King David takes another man's wife, gets her pregnant, and then to cover it up, he has her husband killed. Now when the prophet Nathan confronts King David, notice what he says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord? Someone today might respond by saying, How have I despised the Lord? He had nothing to do with this. I wasn't thinking about the Lord when I did what I did. I just couldn't help myself. Beautiful woman, I'm a man, I'm the king. I did what I did. I was scared that other people might find out. So again, I did what I did. God wasn't even in the picture. And this is exactly the point. The creator of the universe the very designer of marriage and the fountain of life, the one who made David king, was not in the picture. David despised the Lord. And this is how it is with all sin. 
It's a, it's a despising of the Lord and of his glory. It's a preference for the fleeting pleasures of the world over the everlasting joy of knowing God. Sin demeans God's glory. It belittles his worth. This is what sin is and what it means to fall short of God's glory. But just as all have sinned, so too the righteousness of God is for all who believe. We do not make ourselves right in God's eyes by scoring moral points with him. Verse 21 says that the righteousness of God is, is seen apart from the law. This means it's, it's a gift, as Paul says in verse 24. And gifts are not earned, they're free. It's also by grace, meaning that, that God was not obligated to justify us. If God was obligated to us for some reason, if his righteousness was a result of him owing us anything, then it would not be a gift at all. And it would not be grace. The plight of all mankind is that because of our sin, we all lack a righteousness that gives us any favor with God. In fact, it's just the opposite. Our lack of of righteousness puts us in a position of being condemned under the wrath of God. God doesn't owe us anything. He is the one who is owed and we are the debtors whose only hope is to be given a righteousness by grace through faith. The good news is that Because of Christ's work on the cross, this righteousness was achieved and is offered to all. Just as all have sinned, so too all are now offered this gift of righteousness to be received by faith. Now let's consider the source of God's righteousness. Starting from the second half of verse 24, Paul says this gift comes through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Let's unpack this. Today, we might call redemption a Christianese word that we only use in church for the most part. But in Paul's day, this word was everywhere in his culture. For example, if you had come upon hard times, maybe your crops failed, and you're bankrupt, a viable option for you is to sell yourself, or maybe even your family as well, into slavery. It was sort of a, uh, a, a, a social uh, system in that culture. This is an option to help people who were poor. Now, you could work it off over many years, Or maybe a relative may have pity on you and come and redeem you. They would redeem you by paying your master what you're worth. And this act would effectually buy you back and give you freedom. But notice one subtle difference here in what God does. In in the example of Paul's culture, it's someone else who pays the, the master to buy you back. But in, in God's case, God is not someone else. God is the one who is owed. And yet, 
Verse 25 says that it is God who put forward the payment needed to buy you back. But look at the, the payment he puts forward and notice, notice what it cost God to buy us back. He puts forward the blood of Jesus shed on a cross as a propitiation. Let's talk about that word. First, understand that because of our sin, God's wrath is against us. Now, this sounds harsh, and and to make matters worse, we don't really have good human examples to compare God's righteous wrath to, to help us understand this. So, So you need to know that God's wrath is not the same thing as a bad temper. It's not God getting irritated or or mad and just losing control. God is not uh, losing it. Think of his wrath instead as a function of his holiness as he confronts sin. It's like the sun that burns so hot and steady by nature. And now imagine sin as, as drier lint, getting too close to the, to the surface of the sun, and it gets incinerated. This is how God's wrath functions as a part of his holiness when he gets close to sin. So the wrath of God is upon us. Now, propitiation is a sacrifice that removes God's wrath by taking God's wrath upon itself. And thereby doing, it replaces the wrath of God on us with his favor. All of this is packed into that word propitiation. So it's a a sacrifice that that takes the wrath of God for us, replaces it with God's favor to us. So Jesus shedding his own blood as our propitiation removes the wrath of God, replacing it with favor. And again, here too, Paul reminds us that this work of Jesus on the cross is only applied to us as a gift received by faith. Now finally, let's consider how God's righteousness is demonstrated. Verse 21 at the beginning of our text really fits together well with the end of our text, verses 25 and 26. They together make make a point as bookends to this argument that Paul is making. In verse 21, Paul is saying that God's righteousness is seen apart from the Old Testament. But that the law and the prophets do bear witness to it. One example of this is seen in the entire sacrificial system in the Old Testament that pointed forward to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. But now, look down at verse 25. The the reason why God's righteousness was not fully seen in the Old Testament is because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Many incorrectly assume that in the Old Testament, God was seen to be more of a God of wrath and judgment. But in the New Testament, We see God as mercy and grace. And that's the difference between God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But this is wrong. This is not correct. Yes, in the Old Testament, we see examples of God's judgment. 
But we see this in the New Testament too. Just look at Ananias and Sapphira, who God struck down for lying to the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, we we see so much grace. As Paul says, God in his forbearance passed over former sins. Psalm 103 is a great description of how God worked in the Old Testament. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. This is the God of the Old Testament. Verse 10 of Psalm 103, he does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. But again, God did at times pronounce judgments in the Old Testament. Yes, but they were only temporal and they were not the full weight of his wrath that sin deserves. God was incredibly patient. Now, because of this, many have taken issue with the fact that wicked people appeared to be getting away with something. We see this cry time and time again. Where? In the Old Testament of all places, right? The prophet Jeremiah says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the wicked prosper? Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do, why do all who are treacherous thrive? Job says this, why, why do the wicked live, reach old age and, and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear and no rod of God is upon them. So even the Old Testament felt this tension God is overlooking sin. Why is it that it appears that people are getting away with stuff? Where is God? God was passing over former sins. His glory and worth have been despised and belittled, making him look cheap, opening him up to the accusation of not being just. What else could be the reason why the wicked do not proffer, or, or the wicked do not appear uh, to be uh, answering for their crimes? People today uh, have the same complaint. Why is it that some people seem to get away with so much evil? Where is the justice in that? Where is, where is the just God holding these people accountable? Imagine with me uh, if, if some anarchist tried to assassinate the president. He came close but didn't succeed. He did some damage, but the president uh, narrowly escapes. People, uh, this man is caught, found guilty. But they said they're really, really sorry. And I won't do it again. And so the judge suspends the sentence and releases him. He said he was sorry. You know, let him go. This would be unthinkable. Because it would, it would communicate to the world that the president's life and his office are cheap. And there's no justice. This is the impression that was given when God passed over sin. So the cross was how God justified himself by displaying his righteousness, his justice. The cross 
is how God shows how seriously he takes sin and that he will punish every sin. We tend to think that we are the only ones being justified at the cross, and we are, praise God. But we're not the only ones being justified. There are two justifications happening at the cross. One is Jesus' blood justifies rebellious sinners. But also, the cross vindicates God by showing how seriously he takes sin. Do you see how amazing this is? God justifies the wicked while still showing himself to be just when he put forward his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And this is what Paul teaches us in verse 26, that God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now this has immense application. First, it means that When we see injustice and evil in our world and it appears that someone is getting away with something, we can know because of the cross how serious God takes sin and know that all evil will be punished, that that no injustice escapes God's wrath. But when we see the evil of others seeming to go unpunished, may we be reminded of the character of God who is patient and slow to anger and be thankful that God is also patient with us and slow to anger for us. Maybe you're here tonight and you didn't realize that you're living life without God anywhere in the picture belittles him, despises him. The wrath of God is upon you unless you trust Jesus to forgive you. Because God is just, someone will, someone will pay for your sin. You can pay for your sin yourself by spending eternity in hell, or you can trust Jesus to pay it for you with his own blood. Paul cautions us in chapter 2 of Romans. He cautions us all not to take advantage of God's kindness. Paul says this in chapter 2, verse 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? May God's kindness, his forbearance and and his patience lead you to repentance tonight. Turn from despising him and trust him to remove the wrath of God from you and to give you his favor and his life because of Jesus. For those of us who have faith in Jesus, there's further application here. When, when we struggle with sin as Christians, we need to be reminded how serious God takes being despised and belittled by our sin. We must look to the cross and see that God's character was justified as he put forward his son Jesus to be our propitiation that bore the wrath of God instead of us. 
May our sin grieve us. May we not take our sin lightly. It is not a light thing to belittle God and his character. Let us remember this great cost now as we come to the Lord's table. God's forgiveness 